I'm a great believer that leadership is very difficult today. It's yes. not for the faint of heart. It takes a lot of courage. And so I love working with leaders and truly helping them understand their, what's driving them emotionally and how that impacts their communication. Welcome to another episode of the Communication Secrets Podcast. Here, we reveal the communication secrets they did not teach us in schools, but we're expected to know as we grow up. To be an inspiring leader, successful entrepreneur, and overall, an excellent communicator. Your host is Angela Podolsky, international keynote speaker, behavior analyst, and nonverbal communication expert. Thanks for tuning in. And now, let's get started. I'm thrilled to have with us today, Dr. Arvin. How are you? I'm good, Angela. How are you? Good, good. How has things been on your side of the world? Well, things are good. I'm, I live uh, just outside of Washington, D.C. As we record this, a little bit of summer into fall, a little nip in the air, and business has been good. I've been busy running around, and things are going well. Thank you for asking. Great. Share with our audience a little bit of your story. How did you end up in the domain and in working with leaders and businesses in helping them in communication and emotional intelligence? So it's a great question. I've often reflected upon that. And I always go back, I think, very much to some seminal years of childhood. I grew up in Northern Ireland. And as many of your listeners will know, that we went through a very long period of conflict. And that was just part of my childhood. It was traumatic. But I lived in a society that really communication had broken down, that it had turned tribal and to two sides who did not communicate with each other. I really think it placed in my heart a desire to help us move beyond that. What, why, I, why did communication break down? How can we mend these blockages and how can we forge together so that we can understand what's driving us emotionally and we can understand how to heal some of the things that have broken down. And I think that really helped me on my journey. And as I worked more and more with leaders, I think I had a real passion that, you know, I'm a great believer that leadership is very difficult today. It's yes. not for the faint of heart. It takes a lot of courage. And so I love working with leaders and truly helping them understand their, what's driving them emotionally and how that impacts their communication. It's so interesting, isn't it, how our childhood and our things that we did when we were kids, without even sometimes awareness, yeah. we end up in a place when we can look back and say, oh, that's how we got to that. That's how I end up where I am because of the things I experienced as a kid that maybe was great or complete opposite in your case, where there was miscommunication and all of those things. And I, I've always find it extremely fascinating and always wondering, I don't know if you do, but I do sometimes wonder, say, okay, we, we so wired in our behaviors, you and I know that, that we always end up as an adult in some kind of correlation to how we were wired. And a lot of people then either love it and continue that through their life or wake up in their 40s, 50s, 60s and say, this is not who I am. And that's not what I wanted. Isn't it? it's so yeah, it's so interesting. I, I so agree with you. You know, I think one of my COVID projects was writing a book, which part of it, it, it forced me to reflect upon growing up. 
And although I was aware that it had impacted me, I think here I am in my mid fifties, really appreciating the impact, the imprint, as you say, of, of those moments of childhood. And, and yes, it, there was a lot of trauma around that, but you know, there was a lot of wonderful, I grew up in a beautiful family that actually talk about wonderful communication. We had amazing communication. And so we were able to express what was on our hearts. We, we were able to express our emotions, but I do think I agree with you so much that that really sets us. And at times, I think we're aware of it, but I think as we grow older, we be, we appreciate it even more that this really has set a drive within us. And, you know, that can either catapult us into something we're really enjoying doing or else really make us stop and reflect, is this, is this what I want or do I want to change? Yeah. Yeah. And talking about communication, when you work with businesses and owners and leaders, what are the different styles of communication you see there? Good or bad, it doesn't matter. But what are the different styles? For example, you know, some leaders from my experience, they kind of put things under the carpet and they just keep it really politically correct, should you say, for a lack of a better description. And some others really make sure that they unwrap everything and, and they always talk about detail. What, what are the things you see out there in a sense of different styles of communication with their team or between themselves in the boardrooms or others? Well, yeah, wow, that's an interesting question because I really do think it also ties into their own personalities and their own approaches and histories. So I, I agree. So I, I see leaders there who like to keep things close to the chest, who are in listening mode and, and say very little until they make a decision. I see others who, and this is, this is very common, who what I would call are conflict diverse and who get very nervous around conflict. And, and conflict is part of communication. It's certainly part of business communication. And so uh, at times their inability to deal with that means that they don't really communicate or they make decisions much quicker just to avoid get the, the anxiety that they feel. And then I have other leaders who absolutely get involved with the team, who are constantly bouncing things uh, back and forth and like to get involved in that before the, a decision is made. So I think you, you, you feel the whole gamut of communication styles there. And, um, and I think if there's one thing or one thing that I'm always telling leaders is there's no just one style of communication. Yeah. I think it, it constantly depends on what are we dealing with at the moment and which is the best way forward in this moment. Because sometimes what's required is I need to sit back. I need to listen and say nothing. And at other times I need to, you know, really be proactive here, take the reins and almost get us through this situation that we're in. Yeah, I 100% agree. Another thought that comes to my mind when you say that, where I speak with leaders and I tell them you have to be in alignment and yeah. in alignment with your own self, with your mm -hmm. true feelings, with your true yep. thoughts, beliefs, and being aware that sometimes those things are biases as well. But yep. when you kind of uncover that and you realize, okay, this is not a bias, you know, you took that off the table and you Make sure that your uh, feelings are authentic and you kind of sit down with yourself. You have to communicate that also. You have to communicate your true alignment of where you are, but as well the business, because there's different alignments. There's alignment of yourself as an individual. And then depending how big your company is, 
there's also several alignments there, the alignment of the brand, alignment of the, if it's multiple teams, each team have their own alignment. And so those also things that I believe need to be communicated um, you know, around. It's, it's really interesting. One of the things that this kind of brings up for me as well, and I, I so agree with you, but it's at times, I think leaders um, shy away at times from being vulnerable. And I think, you know, there's this image of leadership that we need to know all the answers and that we need to communicate that we're in charge, et cetera. And that's true. Part of it. But, you know, at times, I, I think the word that comes to mind is, is authenticity and this ability to even present to the team at times to the followers, you know, that, that being vulnerable. I don't know the answer. I need help in this situation. This kind of modeling communication is so important as well. And I think we put so much burden on ourselves. You know, when we say, I need to know the answer here, and really it's not, and to align with that fact that what I feel inside is that I don't know, or, and, and it's okay to show that vulnerability. Yeah, I think it's a strength and it will make your team want to stand, step up and be there and do more when you do those moments. So let's yeah. dive deeper into that. What are, let's say the three things that you see that leaders do that you observe that sabotage them mm. in their communication and leadership? As you know, I'm all about emotional intelligence. And I think the first part of that is a key area when it comes to healthy communication, and that's your self-awareness. So I think that to the extent that we are unaware of some of our key triggers and that we get triggered into saying things that we regret, or making decisions we regret or behaviors. So leaders who are unaware of what's happening internally within themselves. And that, you know, I've worked in many with leaders in coaching and it's really interesting, you know, some of them, when you ask them to describe what's going on emotionally within you, a lot of them are unable to give language around specific emotions. So this, this emotional awareness, this ability, emotional literacy is what I call it. You know, this ability to name the emotions. So that's one thing that I think sabotages us. There's a book on purpose that Brene Brown created that yeah. about creating, trying to create language yeah. about, around the emotions because she yes. also noticed that it's a really big, big issue. Yeah. Of I able and emotions are complex. It's hard sometimes to explain how we feel in words, but there's I just I had to throw it out there for the listeners. It's one of the places you can go and maybe read because Brene Brown created a book and we'll put it in the comments where you can try to figure out your words around emotions. And yeah. what else did you say? You were about to continue. Sorry, I cut you. I was about to say then, one of the things that I, I like to say, and it's an exercise that I do with a lot of the people I work, is what's your conflict story? Um, because as I said, inherently with any, any difficult communication, any difficult conversation, the potential of conflict is there. And unless you know how you deal with conflict, it's going to impact the quality of that communication. So are you a person whenever there's conflict, you're moving in, or are you like moving out? And, and that's something I had to learn in my life. As I say, I grew up in a conflict situation. I ran away from conflict. And that really meant that there were important communications, important conversations that I was not having, and that had an impact on the organization. So I think the second one is know your conflict story. And then the third thing I would say 
is to have leaders who do not have practical tools to manage the emotions during any conversation. And so what happens is that they're not able to, to modulate that conversation. And I think that impacts then both the conversation that's happening and then also the impact of that conversation. Yeah. And I think to that, there is a quote from Adele Carnegie that's saying, when dealing with people, remember, you are not dealing with creatures of logic, mm-hmm. but creatures of emotions. Yeah. And I think that's where that all ties in together. When you're talking about communication, you know, when I being asked to speak about nonverbal communication or communication, people expect a, a very how to write, how to move your, their hands, where to look. But I constantly go back and often some people get surprised where, where I start is in the emotional intelligence world, mm-hmm. in the self-awareness world, because without it, no matter what we do, no matter how we learn to communicate, it will never work because it was never authentic. It's just trying to take a jacket of somebody else and put it on yourself. It will never work. It's somebody else's jacket. You know, there's no two people that have the same arms, same shoulders, same rib cage, and none of it. And that same complexion that that jacket that looks so fantastic on somebody else, meaning somebody else communicating a certain way, will fit exactly to the other person. You have to do your own self-discovery, self-understanding, self-measurement for the lack of a wearer, uh, analogy of a jacket. You know, you have to measure yourself. You have to understand what works for you, what doesn't. And uh, back to that place where I love talking about is that alignment. Alignment is a big word that I always use. Um, and I, lo- I love that quote as well that you just mentioned, because I think I worked in, in organizations that are highly scientific, et cetera. And at times it's like, like, can we just leave the emotions out of it? Let, let's just be logical. And, and I say, well, you're scientists. Unfortunately, that's not the way we're made as human beings. We are a complex and emotions are integrated into everything we do. So there is no such thing as a conversation or an act of communication that has, has no emotion. Emotion is absolutely intertwined. And so therefore, um, I think that's why it's so incredibly important. That's that building block of self-awareness. And, and that takes time and it takes work, but it is essential and it's essential key. What are the things from your experience, tools that the leaders can use to express their emotions or express themselves to help them communicate in a better way? So it's a really interesting question. I think there's a dual approach that I would take. One is to learn from what went wrong. So there are times in, in an act where say, say all of a sudden we're having a conversation with someone or communicating with someone and, and we're triggered, we get angry and we say something. And so often we just live with regret. And I always say, oh, there's such a juicy nugget there. Can you learn what triggered you? What was it that got you? And then what, what happened like with that anger? Because that's really part of the learning. The learning is, oh, I, I felt threatened there. I felt my security say was threatened. I felt I heard job cuts or, or a change of budget. And all of a sudden I went into a reactive phrase and said something that I shouldn't have said. These are great moments of learning. So, you know, there is no, unfortunately, the bad news is the great news is 
our, we can learn emotional intelligence throughout our lives. The bad news is it's not quick and easy. It takes a little bit of time. So spend a little time in the, in the bad moments. And then the other thing I would just say is prep work. Uh, I don't know about you, but I always find when people are gearing up for like an important conversation, it's like, it's like well, how will I start it? What's the words I'll use? What I, and and I, that's great. But I think we really don't spend enough time thinking about what emotions might come up in this conversation? How might I react? Because I think once we're aware and we're, we're kind of preparing ourselves in the midst of that to like, oh, okay, oof, I feel angry or I feel hurt. Let me just take. And then in the midst of something, have something to turn to. So the power of our breathing to help us modulate our, our system to come back to, to calmness. So have something in the midst of the communication as well that you're able to turn to, a practice that will help you once again regain calm in the midst of that. So I think preparation, looking back from the past, and then having something right in the middle of the conversation. What about examples from your work, from your experience, where a leader was communicating in one way, and then you work with him, and what were the tools that they got or learned or the aha moments they had that you saw a difference in how they connected with their team and how their ROI, should you say, emotionally or financially came about? So it's an interesting question. I would say I turned to one leader I was working with who had feedback from their 360, 360 assessments where you assess yourself and then you also ask others in the organization to assess you. Part of the feedback was that this person was unemotional, that this person was cold, was distant, and they were perplexed about this. They were like, I, I, I really don't feel I am. So as we, begun to, as we began to kind of talk about this, what was happening? What we really found was a, a disconnect. And this person was going in and what they were trying to do was to, to listen to what was happening, to mull it over, and, and then to kind of come and arrive at a decision. What people were seeing was someone that was showing almost no affect. They were, they were trying to be, I'm trying to be neutral, not to show everything, anything. And so they were deliberately almost suppressing some of the emotion. And of course, in any conversation, in any team, the leader outweighs anyone else in importance from this perspective, that people are constantly deferring to the leader. They're looking at the leader. Think about yourself the last time you were in a meeting and you said something. You can't help but look at how does that, how does that impact in the leader? Is there any signs, any nonverbals? And so what we worked on together was, is there a way of showing some form of nonverbal engagement and some signals that of, of empathy, that you're listening, that you're connecting? And so we worked on that. And there were the next 360 a year later, actually a massively huge change for the better. And even themselves, I think they realized that the team communication was improving. And of course, the knock-on effect of that is if we have good communication, levels of trust, and then with levels of trust, we have greater engagement and, of course, outcome and results. Yeah, that's a great story. It's so important that looking back, you mentioned earlier, and, and sitting, I actually had a conversation with somebody, and I said, all you need to do is when you go home, if you're living with your family, if you have your own family, or when you go to your parents' house, look at around the table. 
what's happening? How are you guys communicating around the table? Who speaks? Who doesn't? Who speaks over? Do you speak over each other? You wait for each other to speak. How the how what's happening at home? Because sometimes it's easier to start looking at things there. And then after that, reflect saying, oh, okay, but I communicate like that. Or sometimes for women, from my experience, mm -hmm. I had a story of a woman that grew up with all boys and they never let her speak. Mm -hmm. And her feedback from work is that she never speaks and she almost being unseen. And she's like, I'm all, I feel unseen. Nobody lets me speak. And then when she went back home and we uncovered that story, she realized that her growing up, she never spoke because she was surrounded by a very loud, outgoing voice. And, and that's her reality. And she had to realize that and then come to a change to say, well, I have to then kind of navigate my way through the boys to also create my own voice. And it's okay to, in that scenario, it was okay to cut them off because they were cutting each other off. That was part of the normal, their loud dining room dinner situation. But in some cases, it's the complete opposite. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's so important to look at the past and and see how it relates to the present. And I'm sure that guy, the story you mentioned, he had a similar situation and somehow he have learned that pattern that he has yeah. to sit back, reflect and take yeah. his time. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you bring up the situation about the, the woman you were talking about. I always had a very similar situation of someone who went to a weekly meeting with the same people. And there was one person there who she just didn't like, and he would talk over her. And she would totally shut down and would withdraw. And when we explored that, part of it was the childhood, the childhood kind of pattern around the table where little girls didn't speak. And, and you know, there's a powerful question I asked her. I said, you know, what's the cost to this team and this organization that your voice is not heard? And, and then from that kind of working on looking at some interrupt patterns that, that really trying to be a little more assertive and seeing, as you just said, assertiveness is fine and kind of visualize herself kind of whenever she feels shut down by someone else that she's able to go, actually, no, I haven't finished my thought yet because you can do it without being aggressive, et cetera. So, yeah. 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 I do that. My, my default is naturally coming from a background where we cut each other off. That's how we show excitement. That's where we engage. That's a, we are. That's a way that we show we are hungry. We are loving it. This is we want more of that. And and living in multiple countries, it took me a long time to adjust. And I'm still not perfect at all. That I need to sometimes realize. Okay, this person needs to finish their thought. And then otherwise he will feel completely the opposite yeah. of what am I trying to, to bring. Yeah. I think this is great content, not just for business, but also in a personal life. When you today travel and marry each other, where people come from different backgrounds and different countries and, and different lifestyles. And I think that's really important, not just to bring it to work, but to bring it also to 
their homes and the kids as well when they mm. go into schools with different backgrounds and yeah. then they go to work with different backgrounds yeah. so those are great information and that's why we set up this podcast to try to bring it to not just to the people they're looking for how to do communication, but also for people that never learned how to do that in schools, never learned to do it at home. And I think this is such an important topic because you know, if you cannot communicate, it's very hard to connect or do business or anything else. Yeah. And I want to dive into, you mentioned nonverbal communication with this gentleman that you were working with. And from what you've seen with leaders, what are the myths where they go and try to read others in mm -hmm. business? For example, you know, with a myth of a certain percentage is your nonverbal or your moved your eyes or other myths that you came across and noticed that actually sabotage them. Yeah. So um, I think one of the big ones is misinterpreting disengagement and the reason for it. So in other words, you know, part of being human is that we're story makers. So we will see something and we will assess that, make an assessment off that. And at times it's so hardly wrong. And it's from, so like a classic one is someone folding their arms. You know, it's like, oh, this person's not interested in me. This is what the internet says that if I go to Google, it says that, of course, you know, it must be right. And of course, you know, it could be, it could be anything. It could be that they're cold or whatever. It could be comfortable. I was working with a group of police officers and they were saying, you know, this is just a stance that's become comfortable. It's habit. And then other things is, is misjudging the, the reason for an emotion as well. You know, so we look at someone's face and we say, oh, they're bored or they're disengaged, et cetera. And of course, we always then have cause and effect. I'm speaking, therefore, that's the cause. And I say, no, we, we don't know what the cause is. You don't know what happened them an hour before. You don't know what they're bringing. And, and so, so therefore, you know, kind of misreading people's faces or assigning meaning where really that's not what the meaning is. And I think that's really important. And then I think as well, leaders failing to kind of reset at the beginning of meetings. You know, one of the things that I like to, I like to tell leaders to do is, you know, at the beginning of the meeting, instead of just rushing in, just kind of like give, give everyone a minute just to settle in and kind of become present because we live in a horrifically fast paced world, which is getting faster. And so it's, as we make these transitions throughout the day, we need a little time just to reset. And I think part of what the misjudgment and nonverbals is that people are bringing in stuff that they've just come from and we're interpreting this as something that's happening when it's not. And I feel when you just take a little pause at the beginning and just to check in with each other, and then what we're doing is, of course, checking baseline, checking where everyone is. Then I think, you know, it, it, it leads to a much healthier communication and less misinterpretation. Yeah. And I think you mentioned a key word there, the baseline and yeah. understanding that everybody's baseline keeps changing, right? The yeah. footing is ch changing. Yeah. Your baseline is changing, which you are in one environment. You're very different in another environment. And I think it's great taking that time to sit down and say, okay, I'm in this room now. What's my baseline here? What's others yeah. people baseline there? And then if you had, what I see often is people had a meeting with somebody, a serious meeting about a certain topic. 
and they then see this person as that's what it is and that's their baseline they take it and register that as their baseline and then continue reading that person on other areas in the coffee shop in, in uh, water by the water cooler as the same baseline as they seen them in the meeting yeah. and that's a bigger problem because each baseline by you know when you talk with somebody over coffee versus in a meeting versus they leading the meeting versus you leading the meeting versus three people leading their baseline can completely change as well on the topic. Absolutely. Did you notice those things in your work? Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, you know, one of the big mistakes that's made where it happens is with interviewing. I'm working with a company at the moment, going through some assessment of people. Now, of course, so you meet someone in the waiting room and it's casual, et cetera. And then you bring them into the room and then all of a sudden, oh, they've changed. Oh, look at that. They're all nervous. Well, of course they're nervous. They're about to go through an interview. So the baseline is not the baseline of when they were sitting in the interview room. Now there's a new baseline. And we have to always calibrate with that. Um, and, and absolutely, I think it's very important to, at the beginning of each meeting, just to make sure to check in and to realize that we're not bringing any bias. That, that so to check ourselves there. But then I think the second thing as well that's really important when it when it comes to this is is the power of curiosity. How curious are we? Because I think to be good readers of human beings and to be good readers of, of their body language, it's really important as well to be curious about them. And I love the power of curiosity because it's like, oh, that could be this or it could be that or it could be that. That's curious. I haven't seen that before. That's interesting. So this, this power of curiosity, I think, really helps rather than this definitive, yes, is what this means. And to just to be open and to be curious, because I think then what happens with leaders, that is we begin to ask more questions. We begin to, to really dialogue more with the person, et cetera. So I think that's so important as well. Yeah. Sometimes it's the Google disease, I call it, oh. where, where people Googling things and, and topic, let's say a topic of nonverbal communication, and they become the Google, the Google book of nonverbal communication, where they learned millions of different things that half of them is not really correct. And maybe it's correct in a certain environment, but in isolation, it's not. Yeah. I been lately hearing often and a few comments on the videos I did when I talk about the polygraph, that polygraph is not a lie detector. And they tell me, oh, but if you look to the left and you look to the right, that's how you know if somebody is lying. Yeah. I'm like, mm, but <laughs> buddy, you have to go back to reading some stuff. Yeah. So let's talk about that should quote unquote Google disease. What are the things you have noticed that people bring to you that are myths that they have seen there? Oh, wow. So first one is this one exactly that you've just mentioned, which is the eye action, which came from NLP, neuro-linguistic programming. And of course, what it is, it's totally, what, what's, what's happening here is, and you mentioned the word context, it's bringing something which at times is correct. It's a correct observation. Universalizing it, saying this happens every time. When, of course, it doesn't. And especially when you were talking about different cultures, 
oh my God. I mean, different cultures have different interpretations. We can get ourselves into so much trouble. So some of the things that, that I have seen is people saying, oh, they look to the left, look to the right, they must be lying. No. Another thing that I have seen a lot of is feet pointing. Oh, their feet are pointing here. This means they want to exit. And, you know, that's been popularized by someone, but where's the research? There's no research in that. And can we say that that's always the case? So I think you have to be very careful with that. Another thing then is eye contact is very important. So people say, you know, you have to keep eye contact. Well, how much eye contact? And that's such a culturally specific question. I remember I was talking with someone who is a teacher and there was quite a few students there who came from the Far East, who came from Japan, China, et cetera. And one of the things that she said, you know, I had to learn that when children were not looking me in the eye, that it wasn't a sign of disrespect. It actually was quite the opposite. They were showing deference and respect to me as an elder. So, the, so again, bringing in kind of our Western world conceptions of what, uh, what is appropriate and then making judgments about that can really get us into trouble as well. Uh, and therefore, I think rather than rushing to judgment, that's where I say curiosity is to be really curious about that and to realize that there are very few nonverbal aspects of communication that are truly universal. Yeah. And as well, often, even with the feet positioning, what you said is kind of to, to elaborate on that is that, yes, sometimes it is means people want to exit, but it's you can generalize. You cannot take anything you learned and make it as that's for sure it yeah as this is what it is and this is black and white and emotions as we were in the beginning of our conversation we talked about emotions and everything you're feeling is relates to your nonverbal communication and emotions are nothing but stiff emotions are constantly fluid and so therefore your nonverbals your your feelings about things you're showing uh, about things, showing non-verbally about things will constantly be different. And you may point your feet towards the door for a completely different reason, not because you want to leave. Maybe that's also your stance. Maybe you were a dancer and your feet are pointing out <laughs> all, all the time or the opposite, right? So you, there's yeah. many things, nothing is obsolete. And, and especially when it relates to emotion and all our communication, in my opinion, it's all relates to co- emotions in the end. Yeah. And and I think we just to kind of continue with that, because I think it's a really great point is that that you know, in the, we have to look in, in the totality of what we're seeing as well. So in other words, very often, one of the mistakes that's made is people zone in a one thing they see, and that's it. And they make a judgment about that. And instead of just saying, well, that's interesting. Is there anything else? And just let the, let the conversation flow, let the meeting flow, whatever is happening. And then what else are we picking up? Is there anything else Because what normally happens is whenever there's a very strong emotion or a person's trying to send a signal, even if they're trying to repress that, there's going to be clusters. There's going to be, you know, you're going to see that in a number of different ways. So maybe it is, you know, the person's folding their arms and they'll say, oh, oh, that person doesn't get, well, we don't know. But then maybe with along with that, we're, we're kind of seeing them move away distancing. And then maybe the eye contact's gone a little bit differently. And then all of a sudden, oh, this is interesting. Now I'm picking up in two or three different things, which are helping me maybe see that this person is disengaged. 
And now, and then the question is, what you know, this is why is that important? Well, it's not to say, hey, you're disengaged, but rather it's how can I ask a question to draw this person in? Yeah. What might be they disengaged with? Let me be curious about that. Is there something that's going on that this is really giving me some important information that now I can use in in to bring out a better outcome? Because because at the end of the day, communication is about reaching an outcome that is better than when we began. It's it's there's a goal in mind, and so all of this information is helping us in this process to deepen and improve this whole process of communication. Amen to that. I want to say amen to that. And amen that you keep bringing that to you. That it's not about reading somebody else. It's about recognizing, seeing things, being more aware, being more present, more curious, all of those great things. And then not isolating yourself, but using yourself as a tool to say, how can I make this conversation, connection more meaningful, more info, and using yourself? It's not what I sometimes see. People say, well, I read that, and he is, she is that, and X, Y, Z, and they title them, and they put it, mm-hmm. <laughs> hang it, and this is what it is. But it's about hearing, actively hearing, physically, visually hearing, and then not hanging it, but saying, what can I then do? How can I use my own self, my own tools, my own body, my own voice, my own feelings, all of those things that we have to make this even more meaningful, more connected, more, you know, how can I be a better leader? How can I create a better outcome for both of us? You know, what's interesting is just as you were talking there, brought to mind, one of the things that I use a lot in my teaching is there's a Chinese character for listening. And what's beautiful about that, it's a complex character. And there are three different organs that are part of that. It talks about listening as an act of the ear. So there's a hearing. It's an act of the eye because we're seeing and it's a act of the heart. I love that because there it's there's mm. the heart in this, you know, this, this, mm-hmm. this movement, this empathy, this desire for connection. And, and at the heart of really great communication, yes, it's listening to the words, but it's also looking looking to see how the words are impacting and what difference. And then it's, am I connecting with the heart? Is there empathy there? And I think that's really important in the whole process. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Before we finish, there's a story you have about communication in a pub. I want our audience to know that story. And I know you wrote a book connected to that. So please tell us about it. Well, the, the book came, it was my COVID project. I grew up in a pub in Northern Ireland. We literally lived above it. And as I was reflecting about what's going on in organizational life, in business life today, one of the things that I reflected upon is this I think, breakdown in, in, in communication. And, and then I started thinking about this pub, this, is, this institution that's been around for hundreds of years. And here is this place where people voluntarily go. And what's wonderful about this place, and I grew up there, I can, I can from the age of six, people are vulnerable. They go in and they say, you know, I just had a horrible day today. This didn't work. This, this didn't work. There's a welcome. Everyone is brought into the circle. 
and, and communication happens there. The power of story. Oh my God, the power of story and people, the importance of people's stories and how we frame our stories. And so all of this is happening so naturally, so dynamically. And so I was curious about, well, there's lessons here that we can bring into the world of business because there's powerful lessons there. And that really was the, the whole book. And, and the stories in the book really go back to that key. What are some of the learnings that we can bring from the pub into the workplace? Give us three or four examples from your book, some of the nuggets that that our audience can enjoy. So I think I think one, one of it is, one I would say is, you know, from the bartenders, you have the power to set the tone. I, I think my, my father, you know, it's a tough business. And I know that at times my father was tired. And yet he knew when he went in there that, that what was expected was that, you know, that he really was the host and he really directed communication, et cetera. And so he went there and he knew that the mood would be picked up by other people. And I think times that leaders, we, we don't appreciate that. We don't appreciate how people are constantly picking up and our emotions are absolutely contagious. And so therefore incredibly important, what mood am I sowing? What emotion am I sowing? Because people are going to pick it up. I think another lesson was the, uh, there's something I call, the Irish have a word for a storyteller. It's called a shanachie. And, and really what, what is it? It's the keeper of the tradition. And so, you know, I often say that leaders, leaders are not called just to be the CEO. They're also called to be the CSO, the chief storytelling office. Wow, I love it. And so as as we are called to stories connect, if you want to connect with another human being emotionally, tell a story. Because what a story is, it's a simulator. You're inviting them on a flight with you and they just don't hear the story. They experience the story. And so at times when we're communicating, you know, we can give all these facts and figures, et cetera. But if you can bring it down to a story and experience People will remember that. And then I think the, the other, the third thing I would say is that in times of conflict, in times of disagreement, that at times what we need to do is create a space where we can build a bridge instead of a wall. Mm-hmm. And, and so often in the pub, what's happening is that people from diverse backgrounds, and they'll have a little bit of argument, what we think is an argument, and then the next minute they're hugging each other. So it's this ability. And I think, you know, Unfortunately, in our society, we're, we're, we're in danger now of really not being able to talk to people who have differences of opinion. And that's part of being human. And it's something beautiful. And it's how we expand and, and we learn from each other. And so we hang out with people who think the way we think, who vote the way we vote, who everything. And, and we're, we're not learning. We're not expanding. And so I think the pub naturally brings people together who are diverse, who have different experiences. And I think we need to do that as well and understand the beauty and the power of that. Beautiful. I love it. It's such a great things. And we'll make sure that you have the book in the description. That way, if somebody's interested, it's there. Go for it. Go read it. There's a lot of great, great information there. Before we conclude, I would like to ask one more question. What are the three things you wish you knew about communication when you started your career? Mm. So one I've mentioned already, which is that I was not I was not aware of how my fear of conflict impacted my communication. And so I sat back 
when I should have really got involved. I think a second thing is I wish I was more aware of how people look to me for many things as a leader. They look for approval, they look for guidance, et cetera. And, and much of that is nonverbal as well. So to appreciate that. And uh, I think the third thing is that I wish I had brought more stories in earlier in my life, that I've, I've come to appreciate the power of story and, and just really encapsulating and helping people tell their story as well. There's one of my favorite quotes is that by a, a poet called Muriel Rudheiser, is that the world is not, the universe is not made of atoms, but it's made of stories. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, I love that. And I think just for me, I've come to appreciate the power of connecting with people and story. How do people can tell their story? What, what, what are the, what are the elements in the communication area to tell a story? Well, great stories, you know, think about, go to Hollywood, Hollywood, go to a movie. <laughs> the movie is like, when you think about like, what's your, I always say, what's your favorite movie? Why? What made it so great? And you're going to start picking together. You're going to pick together things that are common. One is you've got a protagonist, you've got an event that's happening. There's some form of conflict. Conflict is inherently interesting. Something is happening there that needs resolution. And then the story is about how do we get resolution? And, and so it's really quite simple, but I think what people don't do enough of is reflect upon the potential stories of their life. I like to say we have this amazing vault of gold that we rarely tap into, and it is the, 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 the stories of our life. You know, I think as people, there's there's very little that can be said that's new in the world. There's very little intellectual newness, but what is new is the way that you use story to express it. And, and I think that's, if everyone could just appreciate what they bring in their stories, I think the world would be a more beautiful place. How does that affect business and leadership? Well, I, I think it impacts us because it impacts our ability to connect. So at the core, I mean, I believe business still is driven by connection. It's all about relationships. And we even have moved virtually, but it's still about relationships. And I think story connects with people in an emotional way. And when you have emotional connection, people are listening more. People feel a greater sense of trust. So all those drivers that that are really the, the fundamentals of business and business relationship, I think story can help. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you create connections, you create relationship, and you can create a business friend, partner, collaborator for life. Yeah. Once you know each other's story and journey. I want to thank you so much for joining us today for another episode. Please tell where people can find you. Sure. It's very simple. It's my name, irvinnugent.com. And website is there. And there's also a free resources. There's a lot of different resources that you can just pick up, which will help you with emotional intelligence communication there as well. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to another episode of Communication Secrets. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, like, and follow us to get notified of upcoming releases. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of Communication Secrets. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Subscribe, comment, and ask your questions, as we always love hearing from you. 
make sure to share this podcast with others, leave a review, and click that subscribe button to get notified on the upcoming episode releases. Thanks for supporting us in our mission. See you next time.